0: Welcome to Rational in Portland, where we say everything you can't say in Portland. I'm your host, Karen. Today, we have Terry Prieg-Rigsby on the podcast. We're continuing our election series. She's running for Metro Council District 6. Do you want to know what Metro Council does? Most people don't know. Her race is pretty far down on the ballot. She's Terry Prieg-Rigsby is running against the incumbent, Duncan Wong, Well, one of the things Metro does is it controls the money from the supportive housing services tax. What was that tax? Well, a lot of people called it the homeless tax. That homeless tax applies to voters in Multnomah and parts of Clackamas and Washington counties, depending on where you live. That tax applies to those earning at least $125,000 a year as an individual or $200,000 if you're filing jointly. Now, a lot of you might just sort of tune out and think, well, that's some kind of rich tax and it maybe doesn't apply to me. But I think that you're gonna find this interview very interesting because Metro also controls things like money for transportation, directly for things like TriMet. So if you're concerned at all about where TriMet does or does not go, TriMet's accessibility, the fact that you have to take a bus for two hours just to get into work, where by car it would take you 15 minutes, you're gonna wanna listen to this interview. Also, if you're wondering where all that money went for that rich tax, that quote-unquote rich tax, the quote-unquote homeless tax, if you're wondering where that money went and you're seeing a whole bunch of tents and and you're wondering why there's all this garbage around, Metro's also responsible for garbage. You're wondering why why you're looking at garbage, why you're looking at tents, you're going to want to stay tuned for this interview because even if you're not paying the homeless tax, you're... My guess is you're if you're listening to this, you're invested in where that money's going and you're interested in finding out more about where that money's going. And you're probably also interested in finding out what can be done about the garbage and we have why we have so much of it. And Metro is in charge of those things. So you're going to want to stay tuned to this interview with candidate for Metro Council District 6, Terry prig Today I have Terry preeg rigsby who's running for Metro Council District Six here in Portland, and this is Bob Stacy's former seat. Is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And he resigned because he had some health issues. And yep. Did they put anything in in the anybody in in the interim? Or is it? They oh. did. Um,
1: and so uh, his name is Duncan Huang, and so he was appointed um, in January, and and that is
0: current counselor for uh, District 6 yeah so So that's your opponent correct Duncan Wong and that's who was appointed interim replacement for Stacy and now there still has to be an election correct because there
1: was more than half of uh, counselor Stacy's term remaining and so um, if there had been less than half they would have appointed someone to um, serve the entire remaining portion of his uh, term but since there was more than half They did, uh, you know, an interim appointment, and then there's an election, a general election. It's nonpartisan, and there are only two of us, and that means that one of us will win May 17th in the primary. And whoever wins will take office January 2023 um, for the remaining two years.
0: And you're currently a public official. Is that right? I am. Yeah. So I've uh, served for
1: 16 years as an elected director of the West Multnomah Soil and Water Conservation District. I'm also chair of the board there.
0: And you have a. You also have a nonprofit that assists
1: yeah um with so I work at yeah so I work at hockey Community organization. And that's, that's H-A-K-I? Correct yeah not to be confused with the game of hockey but <laughs> um, and it is an organize, uh, organization that's based in Southwest Portland uh, to serve East African immigrants and refugees and with a um, particular focus on those that speak Swahili. And the reason why we are based there, um, is because we have the oldest and largest mosque in the Portland metro area is in southwest Portland. Um across well, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Correct, right. So it's across the street from Markham Elementary School, um, very close to PCC Sylvania. So we have a really large population there of East African immigrants and refugees, um, a lot of apartment buildings there, um, and many of them uh, live there, um, you know, with extended family, you know, like several of the apartments are occupied by families that know each other or, you know, their cousins. And so it's a really great community, Um, but um, the founder and director, whose name is Mohammed Bahamadi, he founded the organization um, many years ago because when he moved here, um, you know, he recognized that there weren't any supports for people who speak Swahili as a first language. And, you know, he speaks English well, but Swahili was his first language. And so he wanted to do something to support others like himself and his family. And so he founded it many years ago. And I started with hockey. Um, I also, you know, I do environmental work. And I'm um, a volunteer with the Trine Creek Watershed Council for 23 years now. And um, where a lot of our um, immigrant and refugee community members live is also within the Tryon Creek Watershed. So several years ago, we were doing an environmental education program and um, specifically for this community and Muhammad and another one or two other community members were doing the translation. And it was just this really great opportunity for the families to learn a little bit more about local um. You know, environmental issues and obviously our topography and geography here is so much different than where um, many of them came from like Somalia and also Kenya uh, but you know also they have a very um, deep rooted uh, value for clean water in their communities uh, many of them fish uh, for food like that's a very important component of their diet and so um, while you can't fish in the Trine Creek watershed, we do have migrating um, salmon species that use um, Trine Creek. And so it was just a really great opportunity for us to learn from each other. And I was really impressed with what they are doing and realized that Mohammed was um, providing a lot of the support services out of pocket, out of his own pocket. And, you know, he has a large family and... Uh, he didn't have a very high-paying job, and I have experience in grant writing and uh, supporting nonprofits and sort of the administrative component of what they do. So I wrote a couple of grant applications for him so that he could get some financial support so that he wasn't buying groceries for seniors out of his own wallet, for example, or buying bus passes for communities, uh, members and families. And, and then that just... Um, sort of continue to grow and we have this really great personal relationship but he wanted me to continue um, to do that work and to do more of it and he said you know but I can't really um, rely on you as a volunteer anymore I don't think that's fair to you and I respect your time so let's bring you on as a staff person so that's um, how I came to be the general manager there at Hockey Community Organization and help them um, acquire a federal nonprofit status 501c3 status and um, to get really engaged in a lot of conversations around what the future of um, that part of the region will look like. So we are part of the Southwest Equity Coalition and working on the Southwest Corridor. So there's you know, over 30 organizations, nonprofits, and government agencies and neighborhood associations, and we're looking at the Southwest Corridor from downtown Portland south to Tualatin and what are the investments that... Um, we can support in, um, for that community to revitalize it. You know, can we? what can we do to support small businesses? How can we plan for um, safer pedestrian and bicycle routes, but also ensure that we have enough housing, uh, including affordable housing, not only affordable housing, we need a, a range, but, you know, make sure we have affordable housing. And also we're looking at um, how we can work with, the city of portland on um potential code changes and um, around um, affordable commercial spaces because it can be hard for uh, a new small business owner to find a place in the portland metro area that's affordable where they can put down roots and really um you know have their small business thrive so uh, that's another component of it so yeah
0: now i think a question on people's minds will be And I I raise this because, as you know, Willamette Week did an article that quoted you. Correct. That was on May 4th, 2022. Nigel Jockwist wrote that. And the issue in that article, as I understand it, is that your opponent, Duncan Wong, is it pronounced Wong? Do you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Duncan is currently the interim co-director of the Asian Pacific American Network of Oregon. That nonprofit gets funding from Metro. And according to Nigel Jaquas' Willamette Week article, May 4th, 2022, Duncan's nonprofit since 2018 has received about $139,000 from Metro. And I guess one question on everybody's mind might be: You're also associated with a nonprofit, Terry. Correct. Does your nonprofit receive any money from Metro? No, it doesn't. And I was really clear
1: during that conversation. That conversation came up during our um, endorsement interview, and I I didn't bring it up. Uh, Nigel did, but I was really appreciative of that because this is something I feel really strongly about. I do not think that our Elected officials, it doesn't matter at what level of government, but we're talking about Metro here, I do not think there are elected officials should um, also uh, earn income from a, an, a separate organization that receives funding from the government agency where they are in a leadership position. And in this case, uh, we're talking about Metro Council, and um, Duncan works at Epano. Um He's actually associate director now, but I really don't know what the um, – titles mean in terms of leadership but he's in a leadership position there and uh, you know they receive funding from Metro and I was really clear during that conversation that um, hockey has not received Metro funding but more importantly should I be elected as counselor we would not seek any Metro funding I think that that is um, uh, a clear conflict of interest and at a time when we have um, when our, I feel like our government agencies have really eroded public trust in our um, our governments and in our leaders. That this is an example of something that would just um, that shouldn't be a question. It, I I don't understand how the this is allowable. Um, Duncan said that uh, Metro's attorney and auditor said it was okay and. Uh, and so it's okay. And I personally disagree with that. And I have not spoken with the attorney or the auditor at Metro um, to confirm that. But, I, I mean, I'm assuming that they've um, determined that it's okay because there are actually two counselors who work at nonprofits that receive Metro Yeah, funding. who's the other one? I read that um, in that. Yeah, his Joucau's name article. Um, is um, uh, Juan Carlos Gonzalez, and he serves in a western um, portion in, like, Beaverton in Washington County. And I'm not – What's um, his nonprofit? Um, you know Central
0: Cultural. Okay, mm-hmm. and that nonprofit also gets money from Metro. Correct.
1: And, you know, I, um, so there's a couple of things to maybe unpack here. I'm not attacking each of these men individually, and I think that the work that both of those organizations do is really critical for the community. And in fact, part of the reason why I, did not bring this up earlier in the um, election cycles because I don't want APANO, in this case, or Central Cultural, for that matter, to, um, you know, be stigmatized um, because what could happen is that the people that really rely on the services that these organizations provide, they're the ones that would ultimately suffer should there be, um, uh, you know, a politicized issue around... um, Like questions impropriety. Correct, right? And so, you know, in part, like, let's protect those individuals that need that help. For example, at hockey, if I were a metro counselor and hockey received metro funding, that would be a conflict of interest. And should um, that, you know, blossom into, um, you know, sort of a political conversation and uh, a lot of criticism for hockey, the people who would suffer are those families who have recently um, immigrated here who've lived in refugee camps, they finally got their you know, citizenship, they're here, they're trying to build a life for themselves, and they really rely on the services that hockey provides. And so I wouldn't want to do anything to compromise hockey's legitimacy and ability to serve those community members. Um, and uh, I um, also recognize that a Metro Council uh, position is not considered full-time, It doesn't get full-time pay, and this is not unlike the situation that we uh, all learned about when um, several of our um, state legislators had to, uh, chose to resign because uh, state legislators are not paid full-time, and uh, they are expected to do a lot more than just part-time work, uh, and, and they have to have another job, and so... Um, In that case, uh, you know, several of the legislators had to quit. So, um, And so I know that this is an issue that is not unique to Metro. And I fully recognize the need to have a second job. If I am elected, I uh, intend to continue working at Hockey. And um, I will still do that good community work, but Hockey will not seek Metro funding.
0: So when Nigel did the article for Willamette Week on May 4th, 2022. He asked Duncan for a response, and right. Duncan said he is recusing himself from decisions about his nonprofit. Do you think that solves the conflict issue? I don't, and the reason why I don't is because the the people who are making the
1: decisions, um, usually uh, specific grants, decisions are made by staff. You know, they all know that one of the, you know, where the counselors work. It, it's not a secret that Duncan works at Apaño, or that Juan Carlos works at Central Cultural. And uh, and so I just, I don't think that that's enough of a safeguard to um, provide a barrier to eliminate that conflict of interest. And again, you know, I, I have been criticized by um, both of them um, as... Uh, you know, bringing my privilege to the table, um, because you know, counselors need a second job and they need to be able to represent the communities that they work
0: but with. You have a second job,
1: so I do have a second job, and I will continue that second. And that job. second
0: job doesn't get funding from Metro.
1: Correct. And so that that really is my response: is I'm not this. I'm not suggesting that we only have, you know, older, wealthy, retired people holding these jobs. I just think that if you're a metro councillor, you should not, or any government official in any other level of government, you should not be elected to a leadership position for a government agency while you are also employed for another, a different organization that receives funding from that government agency. At any level of government, I just don't think that that is okay.
0: And the staff that determine where the money from metro goes there are people working with duncan every day they might be some people that work for him is that possible i don't
1: i doubt that there would be anyone that was working for him and i don't people
0: on his level
1: um no so the counselors um you know make sort of like the high level decisions and uh metro has a lot of staff and so uh you know, depending, and they have a lot of different types of grants and uh, different funding mechanisms depending on what the project is. So, if it's a you know a, an environmental type project in a natural area, that would come from uh, you know um, the Nature Neighborhoods grant programs through that um, bond, for example. If it's a um, affordable housing, um, if it's funding to build affordable housing or provide housing support services. Those are different pots of money. So those are all different um, departments within Metro with their own staff. And I honestly don't know to what extent counselors work directly with staff on any type of regular basis or even um, just occasional. I, you know, if I was a Metro counselor, I would want to talk to staff as often as I can just to better understand how programs are working Um, at the ground level. You know, I I come from a background as a performance auditor, and I, for me, I need to have as much information as possible to make the best decisions. And that would mean that I would want to talk to um, staff about what's working with your program, what's not, or how can we make improvements, um, and, you know, ask for their input. and, um, And so, however, I don't know that... At this point, I don't know if any of the counselors uh, make time or have the opportunity to interact with staff on a regular basis. But regardless, again, you know the staff know, um, you know, when they're working with Apaño, they know that Duncan is one of their counselors and he works at Apaño, and I, um, I, I don't think that um, either Duncan or Juan Carlos are. Um, purposefully, uh, you know, trying to um, strong-arm staff into funding the organizations that they work for. I, You know, I'm not suggesting that they're going out explicitly um, trying to, you know, commit something that's fraudulent and w- with taxpayers' money. I'm not saying it's that. It's about so,
0: being, the appearance of being above board and yeah. the appearance of... of yes, yes not having the appearance of impropriety hanging over your head. And
1: and I think, you know, in this case, it's not just the appearance, but I believe that it is actually a conflict of interest. But even if it was just the appearance of it, elected leaders should be above that. And I I feel strongly about that, and, and it doesn't matter how many times they tell me that that i'm wrong i'm not going to change my opinion on this and should i become uh should i be elected as a metro counselor i will um work with uh, i guess probably the metro attorney to change this rule i just think that it should cease i don't think it should be allowed i don't think that that's asking too much of um of our you know elected leaders i don't think that that would serve as a disincentive for community leaders to run for office that's uh you know part of their argument is that um you know by not being they, you know they're saying well we if we're not allowed to seek external employment then you know only um White, wealthy, retired um, people can hold the office, and I just want to be really clear. I am not saying that they don't hold that. That that we don't all need to have a second job. I'm just saying it should not because I have one, and I just don't think it should be somewhere that gets
0: funding from Metro. That that's it, and um, and yours your job is a great example because if you worked in the private sector, I can see them saying, well. Terry's speaking from a position of privilege in the private sector, but you don't. You work at a nonprofit, and the difference is your nonprofit doesn't take money from Metro. Correct. It's it's possible that before I
1: started at Metro, I mean before I started at Hockey, uh, Mohammed uh, may have um, gotten some support from Metro for community engagement and um, translation services, for example. So. Uh, and and it's only the two of us that we're a really small nonprofit. Um, however, we absolutely would not seek or accept metro funding if I were a counselor, uh, and I think that um, I, I just I think that that's really important. And I uh, am surprised that this is even an issue at all. Frankly, I I don't understand why it's allowable. I don't think it should be, and it is a conflict of interest. Uh, perceived or otherwise yeah
0: tell us about what metro is because i think a lot of us are confused about (laughs) this third layer of government that exists and for good reason yeah there's multnomah county there's the city of portland and then there's this third layer of metro Mm -hmm. and so tell us what metro tell us what metro is yeah
1: so um it is the only regional government in this country and uh, there is one um, like it in Canada, perhaps other countries, but it's the only one in this country. And it is a, um, a, a, an agency that basically uh, encompasses Multnomah, Washington, and Clackamas counties and uh, two dozen cities within. And the purpose of Metro is to um, to ensure that as a region, we are developing in a way that provides for um, appropriate preservation of natural areas industrial land and agricultural land Um, it first started really with the um, urban growth boundary so that's like the circle that goes around those three counties and and inside of which Uh, There are investments in public infrastructure and uh, more dense housing, and outside of it are um, protected lands, uh, including agriculture, which is something that I've been involved with for over 20 years, and we can talk about that if we want to later. Um, So what Metro does is it is responsible for planning our infrastructure for transportation, and uh, actually in 2023 they will be Um, RENEWING THE REGIONAL TRANSPORTATION PLAN. AND THAT'S A REALLY IMPORTANT ROLE, BECAUSE THE um, OREGON TRANSPORTATION COMMISSION MAKES uh, DECISIONS THAT THE OREGON DEPARTMENT OF TRANSPORTATION uh, IMPLEMENTS, BUT THOSE TWO um, CANNOT BUILD WITHIN THE URBAN GROWTH BOUNDARY uh, TRANSPORTATION PROJECTS THAT ARE NOT ON METROS regional transportation plan. So Metro really, um, even though it does not build the transportation projects, they are the ones looking into the future of um, our region and how the network of highways, local arterials, et cetera, how they function together um, and how they can be improved. Um, They are are also responsible for regional um, trash and recycling systems. So they uh, are not the haulers themselves, but they set the uh, rates for hauling and they have um, two uh, sites where, you know, like dumps, where people can bring their trash. Uh, And they uh, also have, um, you know, hazardous waste dump sites and uh, a paint recycling program that I I think a lot of folks may have used. Uh, We did for our house. And um, they are responsible for natural areas and parks and they run the zoo the expo center the convention center and the portland five uh, um, performance facilities and recently they significantly expanded their uh, footprint and uh, financial um, their bank accounts by taking on the uh, affordable housing and housing support services uh so affordable housing bond, um, housing support services tax,
0: and that was the f- that's the f- that tax is the first time that Metro was allowed, or or given money to use for housing. Is that Correct. Right? So before the passage of the bond measure and then the tax,
1: Metro was not involved with um, in housing.
0: So is this the so called homeless tax for Washington, Clackamas, Multnomah? Yeah. Uh, so one percent. Yeah. mm-hmm. So, so And so, and there are
1: two different ones. One is the affordable housing bond. And so when Metro has a bond or a tax, et cetera, it is over all of the jurisdictions within their boundaries. So it's the three counties, the 24 cities. Um, So the first one was the affordable housing bond measure that raises money that can be used to build affordable housing. And, uh, I've been a member of the Metro Policy Advisory Committee for about five years. I, uh, Because I'm elected to a special district, I represent special districts in Multnomah County. And uh, so that's called MPAC. And we get together, we used to get together twice a month. Um, it's reduced now to about once a month. But that is an opportunity for elected officials from all three counties, the cities, special districts. We all get together and Metro convenes a meeting. and. Uh, at one point in the past, you know, we were looking at responses to requests for proposals for affordable housing projects to um, advise, we're in advisory capacity, to advise Metro Council of where to fund these projects. Because you don't want to fund um, affordable housing um, in an area that does not have adequate um, infrastructure in terms of transportation um, jobs and
0: schools yeah that was one of the big criticisms of wapato was that it was far away from services
1: yeah and wapato is a little bit different because that would be for um homeless uh, people experiencing homelessness affordable housing is different that is for um people uh, families for example who might have um you know one parent or is uh, a blue collar worker another one might be Um,
0: a new teacher and they have, it's a four person family. So when we say affordable, does that mean subsidized or does it mean capped at a certain amount? Um, Both, so
1: it is um, built with public dollars, which means it's forever regulated. And it is often, you know, affordable housing can be, um, you know, to serve families at 80% median income or 60% median income. When we're talking about homeless, you know, that's um, zero income or, you know, 10% median income. So we're, affordable housing is n- typically is not for people who are experiencing homelessness. It's for families you know, or individuals. They can afford something. They, can they just afford can't something. afford
0: something at market rate currently. Correct.
1: And part of the reason why, you know, our housing is so expensive here and why they may not be able to afford something at market rates is because we don't have enough housing stock at any level. You know, we really need to um, increase the amount of housing in our metropolitan area by like 60 to 100,000 new is units. Is part of
0: that issue the urban growth boundary? I do not think it is. Um,
1: I have uh, had some conversations around that. So, there is developable land within the urban growth boundary that has not been developed on. Where is that? Um, well, there's um, sections in, like, Clackmas County, and um, there's a portion in Washington County, for example, that's in Tigard. And uh, and so I'm just that's the one I'm most familiar with. So um, right now there is a portion of Tigard. It's not within the urban growth boundary, so it doesn't... Um, I guess benefit from being able to use some of these um, you know, affordable housing dollars, for example, or some of the other infrastructure uh that um you know Metro might um support. And it's not within the urban growth boundary. It wants to move into the urban growth boundary, and there is an option on the table which I am in favor of, which is to do a land swap. So instead of increasing the acreage of the urban growth boundary, you um, move the boundary to include this portion of Tigard in this one example, uh, where there is an, um, a housing project that is ready to go, and, uh, and then you you know shift one of the other you know another side of the boundary to um, exclude a some of the land within the boundary that really can't be developed on. Maybe it has really steep slopes or, um, you know, there could be a variety of reasons why there's right. um, a section. And then what's the
0: point of leaving that in the boundary if you can't grow it, urban growth Correct. boundary? What's Correct. the point of putting that in there?
1: Right. I don't know why the decisions were made for some, you know, initially. but And that's another responsibility that Metro has is to um, decide where and how the urban growth boundaries should change and whether that means shifting it and swapping land um, so that the number of acres don't expand or, in some cases, to expand the acreage. Um, and, you know, I've been working with the agriculture community for many years, soil and water conservation, that's what we do. Um, my district happens to be all in an urban area, so, um, you know, my the people that live in my district are... Doing more work in like backyard habitat and urban um, creek and forest restoration work and and community gardens. But um, historically, soil and water conservation districts work with um, the agriculture community, started in the Dust Bowl. They're in every single state. And I'm president of our state association and I represent the state of Oregon on the federal level, at the federal level, where we work on. Um, like the farm bill or even the most recent infrastructure bill.
0: So if you're elected, you will leave that position then? I will have
1: to uh, leave that, yeah. Um, And
0: why is the metro position more attractive or something that you'd be interested in pursuing and leaving the position you're in now? Because the position you're in now sounds pretty great. It is great. Um, It's unpaid. And well, that's a big disadvantage. <laughs> it's a
1: big disadvantage. It's um, when people are like, well, what, is, what does soil and water conservation districts do? And I say they're really similar to school boards um, where, you know, you're elected to a school board. You're making decisions for um, regarding tax dollars and the implementation of programming,
0: and you're not paid. That is really scary because the position you just described to me sounds powerful, and you're... You're interfacing with the federal level. You're the state representative for...
1: Yeah, so I'm the state representative because my colleagues um, voted that I should be president of the state association, and because I'm in that position, um, I was also chosen to represent the state at the national level.
0: Thank you so much for your service. <laughs> Thank because you. Because I, with an unpaid position like that, I can't imagine... How they attract talent like yourself? Um, I, I mean, folks, we got to get these things funded. I, you're, we're just not going to see good candidates until we fund these kind of positions. And Terry's a unicorn, frankly. I bet. I mean, I, <laughs> none it, of those are paid. I mean, none of them are paid because I'm, uh, you know, I'm
1: chair of the local level, not paid. Um, president of the state association is unpaid, and then on the national board. That's also unpaid. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but, you know, people, some people have hobbies, um, playing sports or um, knitting or whatever. My hobby is this. This is what I am, I get this really is excited. This is your passion? It's my passion, you know. And uh, the, what I really appreciate about Soil and Water Conservation Districts is it's really looking at the intersection of environmental um, protection and uh, restoration with the agriculture community. And uh, you know, it is a benefit to farmers to um, have more healthy soil. Um, it increases, you know, crop yield. Um, it's a benefit to them to use less water and to make sure we have clean water. How did you get interested in all this? Well, I started um, and uh, I moved here from the East Coast about 25 years ago, sight unseen. I just wanted an adventure. I thought I might be here for a year. Um, it's been 25 And I, uh, you know, had a job, but I didn't really know many people, so I started um, volunteering, doing, you know, environmental stuff. Like, oh, I'll get out into the, you know, the forest and pull ivy. And so I uh, got engaged with the Trine Creek Watershed Council about 23 years ago. Um, I'm still on the board of that and with that. And because of my, um, like, commitment, I guess, to... um, the watershed and the health of it and then also um, understanding some of the science behind watershed health and the policy because I ended up getting a graduate degree in um, uh, public administration and natural resource policy so I did you get that Um, at Portland State
0: oh a master's degree program
1: yeah mm -hmm. and it was kind of funny because you know I moved from the Washington D.C. area and uh, you know when I told my family I was going to um, go back to school and get a degree in um, you know Public policy. They uh, were really surprised that I didn't want to come back home and uh, you know take you know go to one of the schools there. Yeah, where um, did you do
0: your undergraduate? Uh,
1: James Madison University. And actually, right now I'm uh, very part time, but um, getting another graduate degree in urban sustainability from Harvard. So it's oh my gosh,
0: congratulations! <laughs> thanks.
1: Wow, um, I'm actually taking this term off That's because amazing. of campaigning. Um, yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, I just, I guess I like to stay busy and engaged. And so um, so I got into Soil and Water Conservation District because the Watershed Council and the Soil and Water Conservation District worked together really closely. And um, at that time, there was a board member who uh, really was not um, helping the district to grow in a healthy way. And so I was, you know, asked if I would consider um, uh, you know, serving on the board and running for office. And I uh, did not win the first time, but I did the second time. So, um, you yeah, know, so I ran for office. And since then, I've just been reelected uh, every four years. And 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 so coming back to the urban growth boundary, so I have this deep understanding of the value of our agricultural land. And once you take, um, you know, agricultural land out of production um, and uh, the soil quality um, quickly reduces and it is difficult to put that land um, back into agricultural use and especially if you're paving over it with uh, roads and houses it's you know it's pretty much gone forever and agriculture is a really important economic driver in our state and I you know I think it's important for us to protect our agricultural land and so that's one reason why um, for me as a counselor I would um, I would I don't um, imagine a scenario where I would want to expand the acreage within the, um, of the urban growth boundary, uh, but I would look at the data. You know, I'm a performance auditor, so I would certainly um, look at it very closely, but I think the concept of a land swap makes a lot of sense. And, uh, yeah, I think that that, I hope that answers your question around the urban growth yeah, boundary. Yeah,
0: that's helpful. How, so the idea is Metro can draw and redraw the Correct. urban growth boundary.
1: Yeah. And it does go through, you know, quite an extensive process. Of course. But, but of course. it is the one responsible for the urban growth boundary. And that, that's really why uh, Metro uh, was d- created in the first place. You know, looking at other regions where there's a lot of sprawl and um, and and just not smart urban planning. You know, the intent of the urban growth boundary is to have um, – uh, very purposeful deliberate decisions around um, how we uh, ex- um, build our urban area to accommodate more people moving here uh, you know. and i
0: read an article about you in the portland mercury that said that you're going to be able to bring your experience you have a physical disability and I that do. you can bring your experience with a as somebody who's physically disabled, who has a movement disability, to your duties at Metro in regard to transportation, Correct. like TriMet. So, what does what control does Metro have? What what, if anything, would you be able to do with TriMet in your in this position that you're seeking at Metro?
1: Right. Um, so, I'll I'll just uh, back up a little bit about my. Um, Disability. So I have a mobility disability now. Um, it was a result of a spinal cord injury three years ago. I couldn't walk for about a year. Had surgery. Now I can walk. I use a cane um, most days. Some days a walker. Some days I I can get away without using a cane at all. But um, I do have a mobility disability. So I have uh, lived most of my life as um, an able-bodied uh, individual, and now I. Um, I'm not. You know, I have a disability. And so what I've learned since then is that 75% of us will actually experience a temporary or permanent disability during our lifetime. And that can include other types of disabilities, including vision and hearing. Uh, And so we know that this uh, can have a a greater impact, I guess, on our aging um, community members. So, And we don't have anyone now. I'm holding office at the city or county or metro level uh, that have a mobility disability. There may be um, someone in leadership that has a disability that's uh, you know considered invisible, but I uh, don't know of anyone that has a disability. So even though 75% of us will have this experience, we have no one advocating for uh, the disability community at any level of government here. So that's something that I think is really important and um, since i've experienced this you know i've uh, engaged more with leaders in the disability community and i while i have a disability i'm not an expert on uh, creating better policy to accommodate uh, people living with disabilities but i have um, the understanding that we can and need to do better and i've developed the relationships with experts that can advise on those decisions so that's something that i would bring to Council, which is really important because Metro is our regional planning agency. So they are looking at infrastructure throughout the region and how to grow our region um, in a way that uh, benefits everyone for you know decades into the future. Regarding transportation in particular, um, so Metro is re- responsible for the regional transportation plan. Uh, Trima is responsible for public transportation. So they are the ones that actually uh, pay for and build out, um, uh, you know, our bus and light rail and other um, actual public in, uh, transportation infrastructure. Metro, several years ago, uh, tried unsuccessfully to pass a transportation bond measure, and some of that those dollars could have gone to work with Metro, uh, rather, the metro dollars could have gone to work with TriMet to build um, additional transportation infrastructure, for example, uh, a new light rail that
0: ends. Um, uh, so, I, Met- I think we need that. I I just don't find the. I mean, you're from DC. I I find their transportation over there, their public transportation, to be very user friendly. Absolutely. W- D.C. seems like a small town. Anybody who's gone to visit knows mm-hmm. it, it seems like a small town because you can you can just walk a block, mm-hmm. and there's a metro station yep. on virtually every block as you're walking. Correct. And so you can make a decision at any time to run downstairs to the metro and Correct. hop on and get where, virtually wherever you need to go Correct. to any section of the city. Right. Right. And I, I lived in Arlington, Virginia,
1: and so, um, you know, between where I lived and downtown D.C., you know, there's a river, so it's, you know, almost the way Willamette here splits um, west side and east side. So um, I was not walking distance from a metro station, but I was walking distance from a bus stop, and there were several um, parking lots in Arlington Um and that were' free to park at, at least when I lived there. And uh, you can park you know a lot of people would park at the Metro stop and then take Metro into the city. So we just didn't have as many cars going into the city and parking in the city, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I am ver- I'm a very strong advocate, vocal advocate for increasing our uh, public transportation system here in Portland. I, when I, many years ago, I worked at the Portland Development Commission, actually while I was in grad graduate school. And so I would take the bus downtown and, uh, you know, since, and it, and it worked, it was fine. Um, That was uh, not quite 20 years ago, but some about there. And uh, now, you know, uh, bus service uh, frequency has reduced and um, at least where I live, you know, it's, it's. a half a mile walk and there's um sort of a a challenge with public transportation is closing the gap on the first mile or last mile of a trip right so that means uh what's you know how how do you get to the bus stop or the light rail stop that's the first mile and then how do you get to your job you know when you get off that's the last mile so um we really have not addressed that issue here in portland so i I'm a strong advocate that we need to increase our public transportation um, frequency and all, you know, the areas that TriMet serves and to make it uh, more available to people. Um, So, you know, if technically you could take the bus, but it takes you two hours to get where you're going, where it would take you half an hour in a car, you know, most people... If they can afford a car, not everyone can afford to have a car and That's have insurance. That's why everybody insurance. in Portland drives a car. Right. I mean, but, at the you know, our it roads It does take are, two hours. It, t- it takes a really long time. And so um, I just don't think we're doing an adequate job on public transportation. And um, I was very much in favor of the um, transportation bond measure that Metro put on the table um, several years ago. Um, I had been working, you know, with a lot of colleagues along the Southwest Corridor. We were going to have transportation investments along that corridor, and the proposal was light rail, and, um, you know, my personal opinion is light rail is flashy, and, you know, it feels like a really big win for some of our electeds to say, oh, we, you know, built this light rail, but um, I personally think that uh, it's uh, better value to have uh, bus rapid transit, so you just you know, you, you have, you know, a lane or, um, you know, a portion of major roads that are dedicated to buses so they can uh, move more quickly. They don't get stuck in the traffic. And, you know, buses are a lot less expensive. We already have buses. So, um, and we can and increase the fleet. Um, we can move towards electric buses. Um, and uh, so they would, you know, have a less of a carbon, um, you know, impact. And uh, anyways, but the transportation bond measure did not pass. And I think that this is a really good example of where Metro leadership just was not working with its regional partners to have a win. So I was on the Metro Policy Advisory Committee when that bond measure went to voters. Um, And in the community, I, you know, in the sort of nonprofit and um, environmental work I was doing as well, you know, I was strongly advocating for this transportation bond measure to pass. It would have brought a lot of really necessary investments um, in on, along the Southwest Corridor, 82nd, um, and other, um, they're called orphan highways, like Tualatin Valley Highways is um, one of those. And so, and while I was in the Metro Policy Advisory Committee meetings and talking with colleagues from Washington and Clackamas counties and some of the cities that are further out, it was so clear that their voters, their constituents were not in favor of this bond measure. And Metro also. Why do you think that is? um, Because it was the third bond measure in a row um, in in three years. And it's it's a lot to ask voters three years in a row to vote for another um, deduction on their paycheck is really what it comes down to, right? So they passed the um, the natural areas bond measure and the affordable housing bond measure, and they did not pass transportation. So um, it, so to me, you know, reading the room, it was clear that, that uh, it was unlikely to pass, you know, because even the elected leaders were hesitant, and they, you know, represent their voters in their um, areas, and so mm-hmm. it just didn't seem like it would pass. And it did not pass. And I think that, you know, if Metro had been maybe uh, working more closely or, uh, you know, um, coordinating better with some of their colleagues, they would have recognized that. And there was a, um, um, they spent a lot of time, uh, I guess, on the conceptual stages of what projects would be included
0: if this passed, that was the four billion dollar transportation mm-hmm. measure, billion with a B, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: and it's um, a I, lot of money. Um, i I don't know that that one specifically. I don't remember the cost over the course of the time. But I mean, you know, Metro now has over three billion dollars of ours and serves two and a half million people and most people don't even know what Metro no, does. They don't. And that's so frustrating. <laughs> I mean, we're Metro, the races are very far down ballot. Literally my race on my ballot is the last thing on my ballot. You know, it's on the back side at the bottom and yeah, um, i think
0: people don't even know how important your position is well, or, or or the kinds of money metro commands well
1: that's the thing and so and that's part of um where you know they didn't have as much money before they got into housing and uh getting into housing has significantly increased the amount of money that they're bringing in from voters and that they are putting back out into the communities to b- build affordable housing and to uh, pay for housing support services. And again, you know, I, I keep coming back to this, but I'm running to bring more accountability and transparency to Metro. I'm a former performance auditor serving under three Oregon Secretaries Well, for State. those
0: of us who don't know what an auditor does, oh yeah, tell performance, us why that's yeah. important?
1: So as a performance auditor, um, what I did was I would analyze publicly funded programs and um, our, you know, primary uh goal was to ensure that the agency that we were auditing um was following the law following what was in statute that they were supposed to be doing Uh, so that's you know a very low bar but first are they doing what they are supposed to be doing but more importantly are there gaps in service delivery Are there best practices that are being um, employed elsewhere throughout maybe other parts of the country or other parts of the state that they should also consider employing? Are there innovative solutions that um, they can incorporate into service delivery? And so that's what I did for several years, Um, and I want to bring that um, skill set to Metro to identify where are there gaps in service delivery are there best practices that can and should be employed are there innovative solutions that we should consider and use here in the portland metropolitan area so that we can have um, adequate housing that are is close to job centers with you know um, adequate transportation options and you know We're looking to the future of what we want our future region to look like and when i moved here 25 years ago i fell in love with portland and um i loved that i could get out to the columbia river gorge into the mountains really easily but that i could also get you know a fairly decent job and i was able to afford a an apartment in a safe neighborhood i was you know a young woman living by myself i didn't feel uncomfortable Um, or unsafe. And fast forward 25 years, and our region, our city, does not look like that anymore. You know, we have thousands of people living on the streets. We have trash everywhere. Um, Now, I'm a mother. I have a disability. I don't feel comfortable walking down the street sometimes, you know, uh, either sidewalks are physically obstructed, or, um, you know, I... um, I don't know who physically I am physically obstructed
0: with people and tents and garbage. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. M- many, many sidewalks. Yeah. I'm looking at one like, right now. It's completely obstructed. Yeah, like I
1: can't walk there because of my disability. And, you know, my son is 14 now, so he's taller than I am. And, you know, he's... And I have a disability. He's probably stronger than I am, but he's still my child, right? And, um, you know, I recall um, in during the winter break... I uh, had purchased something, uh, like a a shirt from Mimi's Tees. I love her tees. She's uh, down here. And and she has, um, for a long time, she was just online, but then she had a physical store. And so... I could pay five dollars to have it shipped to my house, or I could just go to her shop. And I took my son to OMSI that day. Um, you know, it was winter break, no school. So I said, "Well, let's go to the shop and like see what's going on and support this, you know, small business owner." And it was in Chinatown, and uh, you know, we parked, and
0: you can't walk in Chinatown. Well, All, uh, virtually every sidewalk's obstructed.
1: So, you know, it became really clear to me as I was like paying to park you know my um kitty parking go kitty whatever
0: you're probably also parking right up against a tent
1: so I had to find a place where my
0: son in the passenger side could open his door where there wasn't a tent and that's difficult to find just for anybody who hasn't been to Chinatown in Portland Oregon that's actually difficult to find right right now
1: and the thing is is that because I had had this injury and I couldn't walk for a year, I really hadn't um, spent very much time, you know, out in the world. And so that was, you know, Maybe my first time in almost two years that I had been to that part of downtown, it was just me and my son. My husband is 6'5", so, you know, when I'm with him, I, don't, I feel... He can
0: take care of himself. He can take and care. And probably you guys, too. Correct.
1: So I never feel unsafe when he's there, but it was just my son and I. And, um, you know, and, and then when I talked to the business owner, you know, to get into her business, it wasn't actually on the ground floor. And she didn't want ground floor because, uh, you know, she didn't want broken windows. and and And, um, and so she has a lovely space but to get there you have to get buzzed in and you have to know where you're going and so she doesn't get the benefit of having a storefront as a small business owner
0: where you have um people walking or, or biking or, or driving by that see your shop and then stop um and broken windows for anybody who doesn't know or hasn't been downtown in a while terry talks about broken windows because that is a casualty mm-hmm. of owning a business mm-hmm. anywhere within the city of portland It Case in point, there is a black woman-owned makeup business in the ground floor of this building that we're sitting in right now, and that window has been completely and utterly destroyed. It's The owner is a friend of mine. We've talked about whether she should replace it, she doesn't want to cover the window with plywood because it's a beauty business and it's not, oh, yeah. it doesn't feel no, beautiful, that's not beautiful to no. walk in through a plywood door and next to a plywood s- window and not be able to see the product. You can't see the product. And the people inside Correct. how beautiful the store is. It's all about aesthetics. And the purpose
1: of having a storefront and not only being online is that so you have people look in and see your merchandise and be uh, you know enticed to come in. And spend
0: money. Well, and this idea that even a black woman-owned business is not sacrosanct in the city of Portland is not free mm-hmm. of this kind of vandalism mm-hmm. is insane. I mean, we have right. we we have pra- we have passed the threshold of sanity long ago, and now it's, all, it's just sort of a cost of doing business in Portland. It's just to assume that if you have a Floor-level storefront, your windows will be shattered. And if you've got a glass door, that will also be shattered. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult for these people to get insurance now and to get that covered. And it's extremely expensive to pay for. They still have a deductible. These are small. This isn't, you know, I I know they love to target the banks and Starbucks and all that stuff. And many of them have closed. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that what we want? I just, it's... So from an urban planning perspective,
1: what you want is that you want thriving businesses in your neighborhoods, so people can walk or bike to them. They don't have to get in a car. And to um, have a mix of residential and commercial spaces means that you have people um, and eyes Um, on those businesses as well like 24 hours a day right because if you have people living there and they're like out walking their dogs or they're you know walking to the grocery store whatever then you know you're not going to have these sort of deserted commercial spaces at night when there can be uh you know more vandalism and crime and so but like we've moved beyond that it it feels very unsafe and um, because it is it is unsafe yeah and that was really my first experience and Mimi's teas it's also you know a uh, uh, African American woman owns it and she purposefully is on the second floor um, because it's safer there but again I mean I had to. Um, get buzzed in i couldn't even walk in and which is more safe for her but then i imagine that significantly reduces well, it's an impediment to selling your product it's, of course it's a I total mean, barrier to success for a small business owner uh, you know it's, it's she almost, does
0: retail you can I mean, if you're doing retail in any functioning city correct you're on a you go to soho or and 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 this criticism that you know, when when you make these kind of criticisms, the, the clap back that, well, the, welcome to the big city. Portland's a big city now. I, I don't know if if anybody listening to this or, or if you, Terry, I don't know if anybody has any idea, but New York City is one of the biggest cities in the world, and they don't have this problem. They can operate a storefront mm-hmm. at street level mm-hmm. um, in most districts, in Soho, in the meatpacking district, certainly anywhere near Times Square where there's a panopticon of police officers watching your every move, and you can't sit down on a sidewalk there. They will pick you up Mm -hmm. and ask you to move immediately. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's been to a large functioning city, of which Portland is not, neither large nor functioning, knows that a cost of living in a big city... it is not axiomatic that if you own a small business or a retail or beauty shop or anything like that that is sitting on ground floor that your windows are just going to be broken out, and that's the cost of doing business. That doesn't happen in most big cities, and it doesn't happen in functioning cities. What, if if anything, can Metro do about that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think that um,
1: because they now have the affordable housing uh, bond dollars and the housing support services tax dollars that they need to act with urgency to employ those dollars and to um, solve some of these issues and so first with the affordable housing um, they need to more quickly act with the jurisdictions that are building those um, projects and uh, i think that as a convening government what they should be doing is identifying some of those best practices is it easier to build I'm just using examples but like are there fewer barriers to build new housing in Gresham as compared to uh Tigard? Um, okay, where which city is doing it sort of the uh, most um efficiently and effectively? Well, let's support the other cities and jurisdictions to employ those best practices. Um you know, because metro holds the purse strings, it can um put into place some solutions that make it easier to build so is metro in charge of this so-called homeless
0: tax so the
1: how at 1.5 percent yes so that's the housing support services and those are to um to provide supports for people who are experiencing homelessness and so this is a really big issue and so one thing everybody
0: should be turning up their sound on this. Mm -hmm. Everybody I know that is complaining about this Mm -hmm. homelessness tax setting them into Mm -hmm. the highest income tax in the country bracket, uh, if you're a Multnomah County resident, because you're not, you're also paying preschool for all. And if you live within Portland city limits, you got all those taxes too. And I know a lot of people are really concerned, you know, it was passed handily in part because I think it was billed as a rich tax. It's for Couples, I think making over two hundred thousand individuals, one hundred fifty thousand, and I'll I'll check my notes on that and make sure to to link to some this is sources. preschool for all,
1: or the housing support services. I
0: well, I don't know. Is it? I know housing is a rich tax, right? Um, well, and some of that's on uh, businesses as well. Um, right, because I know we pay it twice. As the owner of a <laughs> law firm, we pay it once uh-huh. as owner of the company, and then we pay it again personally. Personally. So the thing so that's like, really hard on small businesses. And I think we're looking around yeah. going, Well, why are our storefronts like this woman downstairs? Why is her storefront ob- obstructed by tents and a mattress with two people that were having sex on it on the corner of this oh block goodness. for two weeks? That's just why is that happening when she's paying all this mm-hmm. money? Mm-hmm. I I mean I'm she's very successful. I'm assuming she probably fits in this bracket. She's paying all this money, right. I certainly am, personally Young and professionally. To, I mean, I park right around the corner that we're out -hmm. the window we're looking at now, and I walk maybe ten feet, Mm -hmm. and for at least a year, the sidewalk that I walk on, it's you know, it's it's just not for that far. But the entire sidewalk was completely obstructed with tents, one of which had a nude man in it, and my kids and I, when we come to the office, especially during COVID when they weren't in school, we'd have to just and i'm sure you've experienced this terry you've got a kid you're Mm -hmm. you've got a movement disability you're getting into traffic into the street and you're having Mm -hmm. to walk alongside the sidewalk as carefully and safely as you can Mm -hmm. right next to all these disturbed people living in tents Mm -hmm. these are not functioning people i mean these are people on p2p meth they're on fentanyl they've got wild out of control mental illnesses otherwise they wouldn't be in a tent frankly and unable to care for their basic needs Mm -hmm. and you're walking alongside these people just trying to stay out of the way of cars and I think everybody's kind of looking around going you know I'm paying all this money and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still seeing a lot of tents and I'm not able to to I'm not able to run this business that you rely on to fund you. Right. So um,
1: I totally agree. And uh, going back to that example when I went to Mimi's teas over the winter break. and Great uh, example. You know, I, it was really the first time I'd been, just my son and I, it was during the daytime, but between my mobility disability and encountering people experiencing homelessness. And, you know, I don't know when I experience, you know, when I um, encounter someone who is homeless, I don't know what, they, what their experience is. We know that there are some people experiencing homelessness who were fleeing domestic violence, for example, or were one large, you know, um, medical... Uh, yes,
0: and I want to acknowledge all those people, but I think but, the population correct. we're all concerned about correct. are the ones in tents, and those right. are the ones that none of the elected officials are talking about. I heard no. Tina Kotek speak, and she was asked this question directly, and she pivoted to talking about women fleeing domestic violence situations. That's not I, all of them. I'm, so that's, well, it's And it's not the population that... Any of us it, that are trying to function and pay our taxes or run a business in downtown are concerned with. We're Correct. concerned with the people in the tents. We know that we can. We'll do whatever, whatever we can to help the victims of domestic violence, right. and and I think we are. My understanding is that we are helping them.
1: So, um, where Metro can come in and be part of the solution is that they have this tax. Um, with any new tax or bond measure, um, the uh, it takes about a year from when that tax passes to when the, uh, whichever agency it is, is actually collecting the money because they have to wait until the next, you know, tax year and people paying their taxes. So it
0: passed in 2020. So
1: right now they are collecting the money. It is coming into the coffers. A lot of money. And so, so Metro should be... I, and I don't know that it's done oh, this Oh, I've already. got it. So
0: this is uh, just, I'm sorry, just to clarify. This is from KGW8, mm-hmm. KGW.com, uh, January 29th, 2022. Just to clarify this, it's called a Supportive Housing Services Tax, right? Correct. Metro Supportive, supportive
1: Housing Services.
0: And that applies. It is a so-called rich tax. It applies to those earning at least 125000 a year as an individual, or 200000 if you're filing jointly. Mm-hmm. And the tax rates start start at 1.5% for the supportive housing services tax. And I think that's supposed to keep going up, right?
1: Um, I don't know if it will keep going up or not. And I don't know at this point if um, who will make that determination. But we do know that even at 1.5%, they're getting a lot of money. And so each of the counties are um, supposed to have a local implementation plan in place for how to address um, the people who are experiencing homelessness. And so um, I don't think that Metro has done this. If I was a counselor um, up until now or if I'm elected, what I would want to make sure is that each of the counties have a local implementation plan that have specific objectives in place. What, what exactly are they going to do? Not these large, and none of us vague, know. none of us know, and we don't know what they're exactly what they're going to do we don't know what the timeline is for those things and we don't know um, where they are um, in terms of progress reports so that's one thing that i would um, require you know that they all have them in place and if you know if one of the counties is doing has a more um, complete plan or has some you know better ideas i would also work with the other counties to Um, you know, adopt some of those solutions, right? Would
0: you require data and metrics too? Like just some sort of of accountability about not just where's it going, but is this working? No, a
1: hundred percent. I mean that I'm a, you know, performance auditor. So of course I am all about data and metrics. Um, And, uh, and I'll get back to that in just a minute because the other thing is that um, we don't know exactly how many people are, are homeless now and what, their needs are specifically so. We have this, um, you know, federal point in time count that happens once a year. We know that it is um, chronically um, always um, uh, underestimated. So we know that there are more people experiencing homelessness than what those point or pit. Um, they're called pit. Uh,
0: counts. Do you know anything about those? Are those? I hear them cited by county leaders all the time, yeah. and that makes me think. And do you, I. And here's another question. That makes me think that they don't have any other metrics. So Why they, are they always citing point in time? Because
1: that is the federal standard. But everybody knows that those are not accurate. So I think what Metro can do as a regional leader and as the one that is going to be distributing the funds to um, address people, um, people's illnesses, you know, what, what do they need? Because we don't know how many people are homeless. We don't know which percent have mental illness, which percent have, um, you know, drug abuse well, and, and you know, which a lot ones of it is, are, is on top of each both, other or both things. Right. So there's a lot of intersectionality amongst that. So what I think Metro can do is be a leader and actually get, um, they're called like name counts. And, um, this is something commissioner Myron has talked about, um, wanting to do and, uh, will do if she is elected.
0: I, I um, hear her name pronounced Myron. Is it Myron? I, I say Myron. Yeah. And, okay. And um, that's Sharon for Multnomah County chair. Correct. And she's currently on Multnomah County council.
1: Correct. And um, I'm personally, uh, I am a supporter of Sharon Myron. I think that she has the experience and she has the ideas to make a, um, a lot of great change for our county. And it's it's time to have a change in leadership. And what she brings to the table as an ER nurse and as an experienced um, county commissioner is uh, really the skill set that we need. But I digress. So one of the options is to have what's called a name count, to know, like, who is, what's the name of that person on the corner here? and You know, to actually start to record who is living, you know, who's homeless and has, you know, Joe Smith, um, you know, moved to a different county or whatever. So you're telling
0: me they don't currently keep their own data? No, not that I know of. So they just rely on this point in time count that we all acknowledge is wrong. Is this true? I mean, this is—that's my is understanding. Unbelievable! It's my understanding, and you know that
1: has been
0: the standard. That has got to change. Well, you know, the wrong it, standard is the standard. Well, the yeah. incorrect standard is the standard. Correct. And that's just what we're going to use.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I but, mean, no one that comes look around, from the f- all you
0: see is tense.
1: So it does come from the federal government, and as we know, you know, states and other local jurisdictions get federal dollars, and so the federal government like requires those. Um, states and jurisdictions well, to use the federal standard. Sure,
0: and we can do that to get the dollars. Correct. But in the meantime, can't we implement our own standard that's correct? I think we can. So we, we can, can keep track of these billions of dollars that we're asking taxpayers for?
1: Yes, because once we get, you know, what's called, you know, a name count and we um, have a record of, you know, oh, uh, you know, Sherry has these um, issues and John has these issues, et cetera, et cetera, then we know how many people require, um, you know, drug use um, support and, uh, and facilities and, ha- and how many people have, you know, particular mental illnesses. That- because right now I don't know how we can even begin to create services that will address these issues if we don't even know the number of people that need the services. It's mind blowing. It's it mind, is mind it's, blowing. it's
0: absolutely ridiculous. And when I the more I talk to you, the more I'm realizing why I'm seeing all these tents because this system is utterly dysfunctional and there's no metrics in place that anybody can use or point to Correct. to show where all this money is going or or whether it's working. And so if you get into Metro Council, you're saying that you will require some kind of you'll you'll use your auditing skills and really require some kind of metrics and accountability and
1: transparency um, to, so important you know communicate I think and, we're all
0: dying to know what the heck is going on
1: correct and also to have consistency throughout the region uh, I think that that's really important as well you know because how how are we going to know um, the um, you know How well a program is being implemented in Multnomah County versus Clackamas versus Washington—it's
0: a tri-county deal because it's metro,
1: correct? And so, I just I think that it also makes sense to have some consistency, and and that's um and I wouldn't want to require consistency in a way that suppresses innovative solutions. Tell me about that, right? Well, you know, there might be um, uh, one of the counties or a. Um, you know, oftentimes it's a nonprofit that's actually um, providing those services. Uh, it's almost always it's a, a nonprofit. Always, correct. And so, you know, if there's nonprofit A that is trying a new solution that's working really well, well, maybe um, I wouldn't. And, but B and C are not I wouldn't want to suppress a's ability to implement a new idea simply because we're requiring a B and C to all be the same but um, at least in some data collection there should be consistency and um, and 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 I would want to know like what are these um, potential other solutions and, and we should be looking also and I'll just say I think that there's a lot of hubris on 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 um, behalf of a lot of our elected leaders that think that you know they have all of the answers to everything and that we're doing well. They think it's housing
0: first. That's what they think. I know what they think it is. Or they've they've been loud and
1: clear about that. Yeah, but even outside of housing and homelessness issues, like I think that this is just you know an undercurrent of how many of our elected leaders are. They have big egos, and they think that they know everything. Well, you know, that that's another thing as an auditor that I would bring to the table. You know, as a performance auditor, every new project you're on, you're learning about how the system is working that you are auditing, but you also... Um, take a lot of time to see how similar programs are being um, implemented in other places to see if there are some other opportunities where we can learn from successes elsewhere and bring that here. And I don't think that that is happening right now. And I, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a um, a professional, you know, an expert in Uh, delivery of supportive housing services i'm not but i can certainly do my research and see what is happening here and what's happening elsewhere and are there some new ideas that we can bring to the table and um, i would be open to um, learning about other innovative solutions and uh, you know let's try to become the city that works again. You know, that's uh, been the sort of phrase for a long time, and I just don't think It's just
0: laughable. It's on all the cars and stuff, and I... Correct. The juxtaposition is... I frequently see photos on social media and stuff of a city that works vehicle in front of an enormous homeless encampment that takes up, like, two blocks, and it's just... We're the laughing stock of the nation because we just can't seem to... We're pretending like everything's fine and everything's working. And there's this constant refrain about how Portland's doing great. We don't we don't need any help. And this idea that we're disintegrating or that we have problems in any way is a right wing talking point. And I think that's really destructive because that you're telling people who live and work downtown not to believe their own lying eyes. And those of us who live and work downtown can look around. And I mean, I'll tell you as a small business owner, we are leaving we will leave when mm-hmm. our lease runs out, we, we're leaving mm-hmm. and uh, Metro, Multnomah County, they're just going to have to figure out how to drum up some money without this business mm-hmm. because we can't function here. Our no. clients don't want to come here. And no. I was concerned about you. I was standing in front of the door when you walked in, Terry, because I had read some articles after I got to work today about your mobility disability. And I was standing in front of my door concerned about you and, um, Just being able to ambulate into my building unscathed and also um, able to just get down the hallway Mm -hmm. because I'll tell you, we've had four robberies here while we've been present. And, you know, I have children who come here and my husband's got every single one of them red-handed. He doesn't even bother calling 911 anymore because it's either busy, busy. He does get a busy signal or it's ridiculous or he was put on hold for five minutes and within that period of time... mean these are not cat burglars who are organized this isn't The sopranos happening here these are homeless people wandering in who clearly have Mm -hmm. myriad drug and addiction issues that you know we're paying this tax to ostensibly help that are wandering in here just walking into the supply room and taking things and wandering on out or wandering into my office and searching through my desk and i was concerned about you personally coming in here Mm -hmm. and so i was standing by my doorway as you were coming in because i wanted to make sure you got down the hallway safely and you found Mm -hmm. us safely and if there were any issues i could run down and help you right and that shouldn't be happening no it shouldn't and uh
1: it it is uh it just shouldn't be happening and and that really is at the heart of why i'm running for office you know i moved here 25 years ago Fell in love with the place. It was, I think, functioning well then. It was, you know, affordable. I, you know, I adopted this as my city. I met my husband here. He's not from here either. Um, and, uh, you know, we started a family. Uh, we were lucky that we were able to afford to purchase, you know, our first home. Um, now, about almost 20 years ago. Um, you know, and, and it's really not affordable now. Um, and, you uh, and now I just see our whole region falling apart. And, I mean, it really breaks my heart. And I, uh, I know that we can do better. And I want to be part of the solution. And I want a better future for my son and all of the kids here. And, you know, even the um, immigrant and refugee communities uh, that I work with, Uh, You know, many of them lived in refugee camps for uh, several years. You know, they fled really bad situations and, you know, violence and poverty and hunger. And, you know, they um, finally make it to America and they, um, you know, go through the process to get citizenship and they're here. And, you know, I was talking to my boss and the founder, director, uh, Mohammed, and he said, um, you know, before he moved to this country and to Portland's, Uh, you know all that they knew of america you know coming um from kenya for example was that you know there's lots of food and people have homes and you can have a job and it's safe and then he said you know now he's here and he's seeing people living they're homeless and they have you know um illness various types of illness mental health drug use otherwise totally severe and you know they don't have food and you know he said i never would have thought that this would happen in the united states in america that's why we worked so hard to come to america um, because it's better and it's safer for our families and now it's it's not uh that's not the case. He said, you know, if you were to tell some, you know, if you were to tell his family members or something back in Kenya that there are people who are homeless and living on the streets in America, you know, they just wouldn't be able to understand that because, you know, we're the United States. And um, it's so
0: wrong. It is wrong. And, and it, it doesn't make any sense.
1: It doesn't. And I grew up, my um, dad was in the American Foreign Service. So I lived in Lima, Peru and Port-au-Prince, Haiti growing up and then, you know, returned to the United States and, um went to high school and college. Um, but, you know, I've lived in, co- in third world countries. And uh, we, we have so much in this country. We have so many resources and we're just uh, wasting them. And th- there's no reason that we should be experiencing this crisis. And
0: uh, Well, we, and other cities don't have this problem. They don't have, they don't, Seattle does, San Francisco does. It's just certain culture, the culture of of particular cities, all all on the West Coast, as far as I can see. I mean, I I was in Chicago recently. They don't have this problem. I can tell you, Mm -hmm. they do not have this problem. I mean, we were in the taxi and my kid said, where are all your tents? And the cab driver said, where are you from? And she said, Portland. And he said, yeah, you guys have those problems. We don't have that here. And they don't. I, you know, we didn't see a single tent, and we went everywhere. I.
1: I don't understand why our leaders have allowed it to get this bad. I, oh, they're encouraging it. I, I mean, allowed I it. I just don't. I. I can't wrap my head around it. And I'll admit, you know, I did spend over a year completely um, focused on myself because I had this injury I couldn't walk. That's understandable, of course. But part of that, I mean, that's another part of my story of where I came today to want to be part of the solution because I was out I was removed from what was happening and that was really at the time when everything got um, exponentially worse right it overlapped with the pandemic and so my injury was i don't know almost six months before the pandemic so for six months before the pandemic i was um you know at home and then there was also the pandemic so i continued at home and uh you know so once i emerged again you know i just saw this explosion of people living on the streets experiencing all sorts of illness there's trash everywhere i spoke with metro counselors they had discontinued their trash pickup service are you serious during the pandemic they did and so you know i did
0: not when did that start again
1: um well it has restarted and they when uh a couple months ago
0: really and so it's been out of commission for two years it was and are uh, they responsible for garbage around here they, Metro. They are
1: responsible for the, like, illegal dumping, which is... Well, there's plenty of that. That's w- what a lot of it is. And, you know, that's another place where I think that they should... Um, they can and should step up their leadership because there's a lot of finger-pointing amongst the different agencies. Like, that's oh, all they want to
0: do. Right. and We're so, not in charge of that. The city's in charge Correct. Of that. Oh, that's a state
1: property. Oh, that's a city property. Oh, we're not in charge. Well, listen, if Metro has um, already... Uh, has a, a program in place to pick up the trash... First of all, I think that, um, you know, if if you hear any of the current counselors talking about it, they'll talk about how, um, you know, it used to take 72 days um, from making a phone call to actual pickup of the trash, and now it's down to two to four business days. That is that is an improvement,
0: obviously. Um, it's still ha- too long. Two to four business days? That explains why I had a mattress out on the corner for two weeks. Correct. But this all, is
1: all starting to make sense. Yeah. So they stopped their program. So they've restarted it. And so they um, talk a lot about the success. But even now
0: that they've restarted it, like you said, like four days to get something like a mattress picked up so people stop having sex on it on the street corner.
1: Correct. And the thing is, is I, it makes, it's, it's, um, <laughs> to me, it's very obvious that they need to, um, go beyond the increase <laughs> that they have in place now they say well yeah, we that have is not a success you know we have more teams in place picking up the trash well that's great but you need more than what you have now and even if that means it's a temporary um bump in service delivery you know like double it quadruple it get us at least back to a baseline of cleanliness that's the first thing which um i i don't know you know they say they've increased the teams that they have picking up trash well that's great but you haven't increased it enough in my opinion
0: the other thing is in that anybody's yeah with two pairs of
1: the pair correct. of eyeballs correct and then the other thing is that um, instead of finger pointing you know if metro has a program in place to pick up this you know the illegal dumping program if they already have a program in yeah, place then look at it so then why don't they just have an you know intergovernmental agreement with the oregon department of transportation for example to pick up trash on odot property within the metro boundaries you know it's uh, government's um enter into intergovernmental agreements all the time and that seems totally uh you know like a rational reasonable thing to do you have a program in place where you pick up trash so extend that program to pick up the trash on odot property as an example uh you know odot would have to um you know pay metro to do that but uh i you know i think that that would make sense I, I don't know why they're
0: not um, employing these common-sense solutions. You know, with your refugee work, you probably know more about this than I do, but this obsession with housing first is really grating, in part because when, as a, as a business owner downtown and a, a Portland City resident, not just Multnomah County, within, within the city, relatively close to downtown, I can tell you that refugees, just with my eyes looking around and walking around this city the last couple of years, I, I don't see refugees in tents. The people I'm seeing, I don't think this is a housing issue. Refugees are able to, probably with your nonprofit's help, get settled and find somewhere to live. They're somehow able to find housing because the people crawling in and out of these tents are white men and they speak English. And, right. and that's just what... I see with my own eyes, and I haven't heard a, a single credible person sitting across from me for this podcast, or anybody, any elected official that I've spoken to in my personal life, who has even attempted to persuade me otherwise. I think the, you're. I think you're correct. Yeah this this is a the tense is is really about Oregon decriminalizing drugs. That's mm-hmm. my understanding based on the people that I've talked to on this podcast and in my personal life that interact with a lot of these populations that hold office that it's it's people who are are engaging in in open air drug markets and people whose mental illness has completely gone off the rails and we just do a terrible job in fact some metrics put us at 50th for mental illness treatment and drug addiction treatment And my understanding is when we passed that decriminalization measure there was money that was supposed to go to treatment that the governor put put to some other use, mm. and as far as I know, still hasn't been put to treatment. So mm. g- with this Metro housing measure, do you have any understanding of whether any of that money could go to treatment of mental illness oh, it's or, supposed or drug to. addiction? That,
1: that's the purpose of it. Yeah. It's just, so they have just now been um, actually collecting the money for that because that was um, passed, um, I, I think In it was twenty twenty. 2020 or 20, I think the affordable housing was 2020 and supportive services was 21. But um, I do know that the money is now coming into. It says that they, they were both
0: approved in 2020. Okay.
1: Um, so they have the money now. The problem is that, and this is a sort of a consistent problem that is not unique to Metro, I don't think, but. Um, And I will use my small, uh, you know, government agency that where I'm elected as an example, West Multnomah, Swan and Water Conservation District. We passed a tax um, levy uh, many years ago and um, actually uh, about 16 years ago because I was pregnant with my son. And so um, we knew when the money would come into our account. It was about a year later, right, because you have to wait. Until taxes for the taxes occurs. to be collected. Correct. So we knew that starting on this date we will have money coming into our account. So we spent that year preparing to have that money in our account. So we knew which programs we wanted to start. Um, how we would um, begin to expand our staff, because, of course, you have to hire new people. And so there's a lot of work that you can do um, when you know that you're going to be getting money. I don't think that there's a good reason to wait until the money Why hits your bank yeah, account.
0: exactly. Why wouldn't you prepare for this? I, I don't
1: know the answer to that, but... Um, and, it's and you're really going to try to change it. You're well, going yeah, to look me,
0: for results.
1: Yes. I mean, that's the whole we need to see results. Otherwise, everyone's going to want to move out of this area. Right. I mean, like I said, I fell in love with this place. I chose to live here and raise my family, and
0: I am not
1: willing to walk away from it.
0: Well, and obviously these measures passed handily. We're all happy Correct. to pay for this stuff. We Correct. just want so, a return on one dollar. Yeah. Just to see one metric in place, just to look around and see one measure of livability happening in the city. And as far as any metric goes on any level, I don't see any progress. Certainly it, no. in the last couple of years, it's only gotten worse. Yeah. And I don't even know where to start, like with the garbage and this, these homeless problems it's and terrible. all these tenant enc- encampments. I don't even know where you would begin. And one question I would have is, and maybe Metro doesn't have any control over this, but... I think one thing that Ted Wheeler has certainly been vocal about, and it might be one of the very few things I agree with him about, is the issue of dealing with the service-resistant homeless, of which I think most of the 10 encampments consist of. And the big question is, how do we, even if you have those treatment services available and ready for people to use, how do you get people incentivized to use them? Because, for instance, drug court is gone. There's There's no incentive to detox. Off of a horrible substance like heroin or p two p meth, of which I th- I think most people in the right mind would not be interested in detoxing from. So I don't I don't blame people for not being interested in that. Um, and then how do you get people who are service resistant and have completely out of control mental illness issues able to accept help, use medication, use resources? Mm-hmm. Um, I does Metro have? Do you know whether that money can be used to? talk about incentivizing people to get treatment
1: um i don't know whether it can be used to incentivize but i do know that the reason that we all you know passed that tax and many of us are uh willing and um you know to pay that money is because we need to see results so metro can pay for um jurisdictions to build those um detox centers and the mental health facilities and uh they're not uh, involved with enforcement. And and I don't know what the solution is for that.
0: It just seems like... So I've, I've talked to Shariah Mayfield, who's running for Multnomah County Chair. She's mm-hmm. a lawyer. Yep, and I've talked Try. to Renee Gonzalez, well, okay. who's running for City Council for Joanna Hardesty seat, and Stephen Cox, who's running for Dan, Dan Ryan seat. And they, they all say particularly sharia because she understands the statutes better that they can use things like guardianship statutes renee says there are statutes on the books that we can use to incentivize these people so would you be open to working with people who can engage in enforcement measures to assist and, and maybe encourage people to accept services that metro can build with all this money
1: Right, so Metro doesn't build it; they
0: are the ones that provide the money, and then the
1: jurisdictions build it. So that's um, so
0: Metro allocates the money.
1: They allocate the money. They're the ones that decide decides who you know gets the money for which program or facility.
0: So do they have to apply to you to get it? Yes. Mm -hmm. So who's applying? Is it cities and counties?
1: Counties, um, to my knowledge, it's counties, and then their applications and include, uh, partnerships with like nonprofits that, you know, provide the, um, services. And I have, you know, to be honest, I have not looked into, uh, any data around incentivizing. I don't know if that's, you know, um, financial incentives, I think is maybe what you're referring to. And well, i really
0: any, I mean, it might be, it might be Shariah's idea with these guardianship laws, which mm-hmm. say that, Hey, you can get a court appointed, Civil. It's not criminalizing homelessness. It's a civil process where you get a court-appointed guardian. Right. That that says. So who would be the guardians then? It could be a it could be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It could be a judge. Mm-hmm. It could be any number okay. of people. Like right now, children have guardian ad litem[s] right. that represent them in right. court. Right. Mm-hmm. And so okay, you'd, so be you'd have a similar process, okay. and and there is a similar process in place currently. It's just we don't really use it for. Anybody who truly doesn't have support, all these people in 10 encampments, for instance, we use it for relatives who have dementia. Correct. And we use it for people who currently have support, whose relatives engage in the system to make it work for... Their needy relatives. So right. we, That's the only... we're using it for people who already have support, which is great. And I think we right. need to continue to do that. Yeah. But unless somebody steps in and says, "I've got this vulnerable person that right. I'd like the court to consider," right. the court's not going to look at anybody in these tents until and tell them unless somebody steps in and right. starts engaging in that process. Yeah. And Shari is interested in getting a process like that started. I think it's brilliant. Renee's interested in in trying to get some of these laws that we already have on the book starting to be enforced about. Look, you just can't set up a tent here. And what services can we get you into to incentivize right. you to not set up a tent here? Which, you know, it will be picked up and it will not be allowed to remain on right. the sidewalk. And that's why Willamette Wheat criticized Renee as "quote unquote" criminalizing homeless because a lot of these laws that we currently have on the books ex- do exist in criminal statutes. And Renee's just—he's—I mean—that doesn't bother him at all. I—I th- I think he's just looking at how do we incentivize people into getting them out of tents and into services and programs and if we have to do that through criminal means he's he's fine with that sharia looks at it as more of a civil thing and not taking a side on either issue but right. there obviously are, there are people and mechanisms set up to engage in in i don't want to use the enforce the word enforcement but incentivizing people to get treatment to receive services Um, currently they have no incentive to do that because you can just go ahead and set up an open-air drug den and do whatever you need to do on the sidewalk. Why would you engage services? Right. Um, Yeah, unless you wanted to get clean. (laughs) Which is very rare. It's difficult. Obviously, looking very around, there are not a lot of people interested in that because right. there are a heck of a lot of tents.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't, we can't incentivize or enforce people to move out of their tents if there is nowhere for them to go. So we have to That's act right. with and urgency. That's right. And legally you can't do it. Right. And so we, you know, we need to work with urgency to have those services and Physical places for people to go. Well,
0: according to Wheeler, there are physical places for them to go. There's not enough. Okay, so tell me about that. I mean, we're,
1: you know, I think 50th, I think you even said this, but, you know, we're at the bottom um, in the country for having enough beds for um, uh, detox, for people experiencing That's right, that's right. We don't even have, even... If there were, we don't have enough beds for the people who want to get off of these drugs. Yes,
0: that's right. And it's critical that we have it at the opening, that the the minute the person says, I want to get clean, you've got to have that bed ready. You can't tell them 24 hours. No,
1: no, no. And so we have long wait times for people who are trying to get off of drugs.
0: So can Metro, if you're elected to this position, can can Metro control putting more money into developing and opening more treatment facilities?
1: I believe so. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, But that's
0: something you support. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. We have to. I mean, why are we last in the country for beds for people trying to get off drugs when we we also have why? And and we also have so many people experiencing, um, you know, addiction. And it's really hard to
0: get off We're of. number one in the country yeah. for drug drug addiction and, and drug And use. last in the country for... For treatment. S- correct. Yeah, it's this horrific confluence of events. Correct. And I haven't heard anybody talking about it, and I'm not hearing anybody, certainly not anybody currently in Metro, mm. talking about what they're doing with all this money to help get us out of the sewer.
1: Well, they're not talking about it because several of them are running for re-election, and so why would they... Want to put a spotlight on the things that they're not doing,
0: right? So the so the consistent refrain is, "We're great, we're great, we're great, we're great." Don't believe your lying eyes; believe what we tell you. Yes, and you were incentivized or and inspired to run for this position because you were looking around in your personal life, correct, and not able to engage in commerce safely downtown to
1: enjoy downtown with your son. Yeah, I don't want. I don't really want my son, you know, taking the bus downtown. And, you know go, you know I think at a different time I would be fine giving my son you know five dollars and like go get an ice cream cone downtown with your friends and it was fine yeah and for, I, for decades it correct was fine. you know that would be a fun adventure for him and his friends you know they'd have a little group of them and uh, you know went, um Portland public School high school students can ride Trimet for free uh that's you know instead of you know that that's amazing oh yeah so they get and they um, should be able to do that safely they get an id card at the beginning of the school year it's not 12 months here i don't really know why but at the during the summer they can't they can't use it but at the beginning of the school year they get a student id a picture id and it also serves as a hop pass that's a trimet pass and so that's in place of school buses uh, for our high school students in
0: portland and uh but you know so I so that's how they're supposed to get to school. Correct. So school buses I did not know this so d- does that mean that Portland Public Schools does not have a bus system for high school students? Yes it's not a school bus system it, they they are expected to arrive to school on Trimut via public transportation correct.
1: The so. room is spinning.
0: I, I didn't – that is yeah. scary.
1: Well, and, you know, for us, it's over half a mile of a walk, which is not, like, the end of the world. But honestly, trying to – Well, if to, you're
0: physically disabled, it might be. If you be. have a
1: disability, it's really hard. And um, and it's um, – and during the pandemic, uh, which, I you know, I feel like we're shifting out of now, although I have several friends that do currently have COVID – um, who, yeah, everybody I knew has COVID. Yeah, you know, I mean, and they were vaccinated and they're not <laughs> oh, super Oh, we've all sick. been vaccinated, right. yeah. But, you know, when uh, schools went back to um, in-person learning, we, you know, it was still dangerous for a lot of folks to... Um, you know, if they were to um, get COVID, it would be really dangerous for some people. We have some sure, uh, like
0: if you're going through chemo, correct, or you're, right, and you're like elder,
1: very old,
0: yeah, like the elderly.
1: And you know, I had a couple of friends who were in cancer treatment, and so they themselves didn't want to use public transportation. But they didn't want their kids using it. They didn't want their kids' friends using it because. You know the germs could be passed on so um you know but so when we went back to in-person school i didn't want my son to take public transportation because of
0: you know a global pandemic happens one time every hundred years it's pretty serious well i think also if if anybody has been on public transportation in the city of portland at all within the past couple years i mean the last time we were on the max there was a used condom next to us Mm -hmm. The next time we were on the Max, there were two needles, one of which was uncapped. See, the no. next time that we were on the Max, we watched a man shoot up right next to us and slump over and appear. He That's could awful. have been dead. That's he could awful. have been dead. Mm-hmm. And and nobody was interested in checking on him. Nobody. I mean, everybody's everybody writing it is scared. They're not going to be interested in like tapping this guy or interacting See, with him. I, Especially if you've got young children with you, and if you're a high school kid, no, and you're expected to ride the max or the bus with that kind of stuff going on, no wonder all these parents that I know are driving their kids. And I, this whole time, I've always been wondering why don't they ride the damn school bus? And because there is no school bus. Correct. Yeah, I and drive the now morning, morning carpool. All makes sense. Yeah, no, I fill my
1: car up every morning with a bunch of kids, and um, you know, so. At least there are. There's only one car instead of all of the cars, you know. Because that's, um, it's not convenient for a lot of families. You know, it happens to be that I can uh, work from home and I have some flexibility with my hours. But you know, if I had to be, um, at my job at seven thirty or eight in the morning, I physically would not be have the flexibility to drive my kids to school. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we need to have better and safer public transportation. How
0: How, do, how would you? What power, if any, do you have if you're elected to Metro to assist in the safety of this transportation? Because mm-hmm. as far as I know, I mean, yes, COVID, COVID's an issue, but theres um, I don't know anybody that that's an issue for the people that I know. It's all safety yeah. oriented. So there's an interesting thing. So uh,
1: Metro plans for transportation, TriMet implements it. And uh, legally, Metro could um, basically absorb takeover TriMet and be in charge of it. I don't necessarily think that that's a good idea. I'm not advocating for it, but legally that that's could That's interesting, happen. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and can you
0: take it over temporarily no, if you need to? No, I don't think it so. It has to be a done
1: deal. I think so, and that would okay, be. Okay, that's complicated. It's really complicated. Um, but, uh, you know, something that I keep hearing from my uh, the folks that I work with, the immigrants and refugees, they say in this when you know, that they all use school bus, I mean, not school bus, they all use buses in the countries that they um, moved from. And on those buses, there was always a driver and there was a security person. Um, You know, it kept the driver safe and also the riders safe. And I know that that would be really expensive, but I also think that we do need to be thinking about the security, the safety of the riders and the drivers. So one of the audits I did when I was at Secretary oh, of State those
0: poor drivers. was
1: of TriMet, yeah. And so I, you know, audited TriMet and we were really focused on their unfunded um, pension liability. So that's a sure. whole, whole other issue. But um, <laughs> that well, is an I, yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, just speaking with um, operators or called, you know, drivers, um, whether it's streetcar, max, buses, speaking with a lot of the operators and also the maintenance crew. Crew. And, you know, it wasn't, it's not really a great place for people to work um, if they, um, not in like the central office, in, in the office, but like as a bus driver, it's not necessarily a great place to work. There are a lot of requirements on uh, the schedule. And so if you hit traffic, there really isn't any flexibility to be able to make up that time. Um, there's no... There's insufficient, like, bathroom breaks, and um, this is for the drivers. And, you know, there's no sec- – there's very little security. And so the security, I think, would be beneficial for both the drivers and for all of the riders. And uh, I – like I said, I am not that familiar with um, uh, TriMet's current um, – I guess I financial I yeah. position to be able to increase the number of buses, increase security measures, but those are really important things. And especially if we want our kids to be using public transportation and while we're talking about, you know, reducing carbon emissions, we need to have um, a
0: safe and accessible and adequate public transportation system. All, all anybody in the city babbles about is climate change. Yeah. And they there nobody grapples with the fact that our public transportation system yeah. is completely unusable. It is because it's not yes, it's not we discussed this earlier, it's not super functioning. I mean you can't you right. really can't it's it's nothing like D C. You can't use it no. to really go anywhere. It's not it's not functional. It doesn't go enough places and it doesn't consistently hit enough spots for it Correct. to make sense for you to take it and not expect a two hour bus ride. Correct. There's that issue. Then I think more importantly, especially given what I know now, that these high school students are all expected to bus via TriMet, that that is our high school busing system in the city of Portland, is the safety issue. And I don't know a single parent that puts their kid on Mm TriMet and throws up their hands and says goodbye, good luck in school. Everybody I know is driving their kid, and now I understand why. And so... The idea that we're going to babble on and on about climate change and the environment and not grapple with our fundamental failures of public transportation it just seems, and nobody's calling them out on this. It's just crazy. They're allowed to babble for hours about, about the environment. But I'm nobody, calling them out on it. And thank God you are. <laughs> but, but you know, no, nobody's nobody in media, I mean, I don't hear anybody in media asking any of these officials tough questions about this unusable public transportation system that is know. supposed to save us from climate change.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know why it doesn't get more attention. It's, it's I mean, it seems to me so obvious that we need to invest more in our public transportation for s- multitude of reasons. And we're just not, and I don't, I know that TriMet, um, is in a uh, financial, uh, financially challenging position i don't fully understand why it is in that position um and like i said i was an auditor on that but that was many years ago but that's we,
0: something you could look into i mean i if could you're look elected. into it
1: i don't know how much metro could um without taking trimet over I don't know how much. How much a, is
0: accessible?
1: Yeah, I don't know how much it could actually do, but it should be at the table talking about it loudly and clearly, and you know maybe partnering with TriMet to access federal infrastructure dollars. This is another thing I know we're like we've been talking a lot, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. But I don't know if we're going past time, but um, it. We have this um, sort of history, I think, in our region here of asking voters to pay for additional, you know, taxes, bonds, levies, all of that. I really think that we need to do a better job of bringing federal dollars into our region. And, you know, yes, it might take some, uh, It's maybe it's more difficult to access the federal dollars rather than to just put another tax
0: on the ballot. Well, currently in your, in your elected position, you interface with the feds. Yeah. And so you have some experience navigating that yeah um correct and, and you could bring that experience to the table I would bring that and look into that table. yeah i mean
1: i yeah and i'm i've been very clear that i think that uh, metro and other government agencies need to look first at available federal dollars to bring into our region um and and i also understand that often federal grants and federal dollars require what's called a local match. And so then um, you, you can't just get, you know, a grant from f- the federal government without, um, you know, matching it uh, not maybe one-to-one or maybe less than one-to-one. So you do still need some local dollars, but, you know, if there's uh, – you know, say it's a $2,000 project, I'm using nonsense numbers, but if you have a $2,000 project, how at least try and get 1000 of it from the federal government. If it's a one-to-one match, then you use $1,000 locally and $1,000 from the federal government rather than, you know, paying for the entire $2,000 with local uh, tax dollars, if that makes sense. Um, so you don't get away from needing to have local dollars altogether when you access federal dollars, but you can certainly offset... A lot of those costs and especially with the um, new tra- infrastructure bill that was passed there will be a lot of money available for making transportation improvements and i think that that is a place where we need to be um really uh um i don't know if aggressive is the right word but we we t- need to take it really seriously
0: i think that's the right word it's yeah. a good word
1: i like it yeah we need to go for it and do it uh so that's um that's something I've been really vocal about as well
0: Terry is there anything else that voters should know about you as we finish putting our ballots together and sending those in um,
1: well as far as I know from the latest um, numbers uh, we have a voter turnout rate right now of about six percent and uh, wow that's that seems ridiculously low. infinitesimal. <laughs> yes, so really low voter turnouts, and so we really need people to show up and to vote. I ask for people to vote for me. I'm, uh, you know, running against an incumbent uh, who uh, was appointed by five people. It was not uh, a unanimous appointment. He, uh, many incumbents, you know, there's a lot of benefits uh, to incumbency when you're running for re-election, you get a lot of support from like unions and other associations. And, uh, you know, uh, all of those organizations and groups will need to work with Duncan until at least January 2023. So why would they not support him? That makes sense. Oh, I understand. Right? Well, so, that makes
0: it really tricky for you. It's
1: very difficult to run against an incumbent. However, in a typical um, situation, the incumbent at one point did receive the majority of votes from the general public. In this case, but not this incumbent. No, he got five votes. So, um, you know, I'm in a I'm in a tough race, and I'm I'm swimming upstream, so to speak. So, I did get the endorsement of the Oregonian, and they recognize that I have the experience and skills to bring accountability and transparency to the table. That's what I want to do. Um, I've been a leader, uh, a resident here for 25 years, and a community leader, um, you know, over two decades. Um, my opponent, I think he's lived here about 10 or 12 years. And again, you know, I would, I do not bring a conflict of interest to the table, but moreover, I would bring my auditing skills and my experience as a, um, environmental leader and my lived experience with an, uh, a, mobility, um, disability to the table. So I hope- Well, go, and as a parent, and as your a experience parent. as well, a parent. Well, that's another thing is as a parent and, and we currently don't have, um, I think there's, um, one parent on, um, Metro Council right now. And so, uh, You know, we do bring a different perspective as a parent to the table, especially for an agency that is planning for the future of our region. And that is what Metro does. So I'm asking folks to vote um, uh, as soon as possible. Uh, You can vote as late as next Tuesday, but the sooner the better. And tell your friends, neighbors, colleagues to vote. Uh, Just try to get the participation rate higher because 6% is very low and uh, there are some really important elections um, this uh, primary you know midterm primary is sometimes forgotten but this particular one we've got a lot of big uh, votes up on the ballot and- well
0: and a lot of these listeners have reached out to me about this homeless tax measure mm-hmm. the so-called homeless tax measure wondering where it's going who's getting it this terry Pregrisby. Rigsby, who's sitting across from me right now, is running for Metro, and that's a Metro tax. I don't think Correct. most people understand that. And like you said, Terry, mm-hmm. your election is so far down the ballot. Correct. Look down your ballot until you find Terry's name, because that's where she, where this important position is for Correct. some reason. And it's not getting a lot... The other interesting thing is, this election, uh, for the position that you're running for, Metro Council, it's not getting a little lot of media attention either. It's almost no. seen as this kind of uh tertiary race and i don't think people understand how much money metro commands or that it's in charge of things like this transportation bond the housing bond the quote-unquote homeless tax yeah this is a really important race it is
1: it is really important and um you know the metro president's uh race is also up and uh i think that you know there's an opportunity there with Alyssa pisca who i think that um maybe you've also yeah talked about, we endorsed, endorsed Alyssa. her yeah and so, um, I think that we would make a great team.
0: And the Oregonian endorsed Alyssa as Correct. well, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
0: so, Terry, I know if people want to find you, they can get on Twitter and they can find you at T T-P, P Rigsby. T P P is in Paul R I G G S B Y on Twitter. And where else can they find you? Do you have a webpage?
1: Yeah, my website is Terry for Metro. So T E R R I F O R M E T R O dot com. So Terry for Metro and uh, if
0: anybody e- wants to help with your campaign, what sure. do you need help with?
1: Oh, so what I need help with is um, getting people out to vote. To be honest with you, at six percent uh, rate right now, we need more people to vote. So tell everyone that you know to you know, take the few minutes it takes to fill out your ballot and put it in the mailbox and to vote for me. Um, I will also have, uh, you know, every day from now until Election Day, we're going to be out um, with a banner um, on busy roads uh, on the sidewalks. Hopefully they're accessible. And, uh, you know, just getting my name out there because these down-ballot local government races uh, are difficult to... um, get awareness and uh, name recognition is a big deal and uh yeah just
0: tell Well, it's just so odd to me i think everybody now understands after listening to this episode you'll understand why this metro council position is so important and in some ways more important than say city council which gets so much media attention Mm -hmm. because metro as terry's explained to us encompasses Clackamas, Washington, and Multnomah County. So think Portland right. Metro. Yeah. So Terry, this position that she's running for, this is a position that encompasses all three of those counties. This is so, in a lot of ways, this is so much more, powerful and impactful than say these portland city council races that everybody's obsessed over correct
1: so my district is southwest portland um, and then into washington county a little bit uh, and then um, north of barber boulevard so there's a section of southwest portland that's a different district and then southeast portland to 122nd and so, you know, that's a huge district. Yeah, I think there's about three hundred thousand uh, residents we include. I think there's six uh, possibly seven house uh, Oregon House districts included in my metro district. Wow. So it's really big. And um so while everyone except for the president is serves a specific geographic area, obviously, the decisions we make affect the entire region. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, at this point, it's a week away and we just need to make sure that people are voting. They're voting for Terry. And, uh, you know, if you want to help out with, um, um,
0: Really, sign, it sounds like what you need people signed, to do is tell a friend. Yeah,
1: everyone, yeah, my campaign's like, tell everyone to tell 10 people to tell and tell and make sure to people. vote. And to make sure to vote, yeah. I mean, like, you know, pick up your phone and text 10 to 20 people that you know, hey, Ballots are due, do it now, don't wait until the last minute, but at the very least, do it by May 17th, and make sure you go all the way down ballot, because those down ballot local government races are the ones that will most impact our day-to-day lives. You know, we get a lot of attention on um, maybe state races, and, and those are definitely important, absolutely, but the one, the races that will affect what it looks like on the sidewalk when you're walking uh, to work, or your kids are going to school. The you know those are issues that are um, will be solved, hopefully, by local governments. And Metro is one of those.
0: Well, yeah, all anybody talks about is garbage and homelessness. And, and even Tina Kotek said the number one issue she hears about is homelessness. Yep. You guys, Metro Correct. is in charge of this homelessness, trash dance. and
1: homelessness. I mean, that's really what they're doing or what they're not doing to be more. What
0: they're not doing. Correct. And if you want anybody to take a look at those yeah. issues and do something Correct. about it, vote for Terry Pris- Rigsby, who's sitting right across from me today. She's running for Metro Council and her opponent is Duncan Wong. He is uh, currently part of Metro. And I don't, I you know, I'm just speaking for myself here, but I don't. I don't know anybody who wants the current situation to continue. So anybody who's who's interested at all in solving these homelessness and garbage programs, go take a look at Terry Priggs Rigsby and make sure to go down your ballot and fill out the entire ballot and think about who you're voting for. Because I think a lot of people just go down to the city council races and they move on because they haven't seen media attention or heard about these candidates. Correct. But that's why it's so important to have informed voters and, as far as I know, my guess is that's why a lot of people just aren't voting is because they don't realize how important things like this Metro Council position are. Yep, I think that is accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anything else we should know about you No, I we just sign really off? appreciate the
1: time today and really great conversation. And it's nice to chat with folks who um, care about what's happening and have some knowledge about what's happening as well. So I really appreciate um, what you bring to the table and um, the opportunity to chat with you today.
0: That was Terry Prieg Rigsby, and she's running for Metro Council District 6, currently occupied by Duncan Wong. There was another article about Duncan Wong and his nonprofit, APANO, and it was written November 22, 2017, in Willamette Week. The title is The Asian American Advocacy Nonprofit APANO is the latest organization roiled by allegations of sexism. APANO leadership denies allegations. There's trouble at the Asian Pacific American Network of Oregon. 14 former employees and board members at site signed a November 5th letter demanding the immediate resignations of Executive Director Joseph Santos Lyons, Associate Director Duncan Wong, and all board members. The letter alleged wrongdoing at the 21-year-old nonprofit which lobbies on behalf of Asian Americans and is increasingly active in social justice campaigns. There have been over a dozen staff members, the letter says, who have been pushed out and traumatized by their experiences of rampant sexism, homophobia, and transphobia at Opano, The controversy is among the latest turmoil to arise from the Me Too movement, which has drawn attention to sexual harassment and abuse nationwide. On November 15th, Apono board chairs Simon Tam and Roddy Reddy responded with an open letter to the Asian Pacific community. We want to assure our communities that Apano has and will continue to thoroughly investigate allegations of misconduct, including gender and LGBTQ discrimination, and respond appropriately. They write... To date, we have no evidence to suggest that there has been any unlawful discrimination or actions by current or former staff within the organizational practices of APANO. Santos Lyons has also says APANO takes the allegations seriously. APANO has not lost sight of our values and what justice can look like as we move through this process. The article continues. Later, the article is updated and it says updated October 8th, 2019 with investigation results. After a letter from APANO staff and board members in early 2017, November 2017, Apano hired the Miller-Nash Law Firm to investigate allegations of misconduct and discrimination. Here's a summary of the investigation's findings and a link to the full report. It goes on to say that the lawyer did not find evidence that overt discrimination against any protected class occurred. They didn't find evidence of a pattern of ongoing and persistent harassment severe enough to alter the conditions of employment. They found um, that there was... Nothing to the allegation that O'Pano treated an individual disparately. In fact, they found that they, there was no evidence that O'Pano treated an individual disparately in the terms and conditions of employment, and they found that O'Pano did not deny a position or promotion because of an individual's sex, gender identity, or sexual orientation. But they did find, based on the current concerns, consistent, excuse me, consistent concerns raised by current and former board members, staff, volunteers, and external stakeholders, We find that APANO has inadequately addressed numerous organizational challenges. In brief, APANO leadership has failed to professionally manage its human capital and to ensure that appropriate employment policies were implemented and followed. And because APANO is a progressive, social justice-minded organization, APANO staff, community members, and stakeholders expect APANO to address those concerns. And APANO goes on to say, "We we welcome concrete opportunities to improve. Stepping away from this article... Remember, APANO is the nonprofit organization that Metro Dollars, your tax dollars, are going to. And it is also the nonprofit organization headed up by current incumbent at Metro, Duncan Wong. So Terry Preg rigsby is running against Mr. Wong for Metro Council District 6. Thanks so much for joining us. Please tune in next time. We will see you here at Rational in Portland. If you like the podcast and you want to support us, please leave us a good review. It really does help suggest the podcast to other people in regard to the algorithm. And please tell a friend. Make sure to vote in these upcoming elections, you guys. As Terry said, only like 6% of people have turned out their vote. Fill out that ballot, get it in the mail, and let's change Portland for the better. Let's turn things around, everybody. We'll see you next time here on Rational in Portland. Bye.